This is Digital Health Today, episode 44. So what we've tried to do is put technologies in the field that make the physician's life easier. Everyone talks about being patient-centric. We as an organization are really provider-centric. And we feel like if we can restore the joy of the calling back to the physician, they'll take better care of their patients. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you by Medible, the app and analytics company for healthcare. Medible invites you to try its Axon solution. Axon makes clinical research easy with its clicks, not code technology. Create your first clinical trial app in just a few minutes. Go to www.medible.com to get a demo today. That's www.medible.com. Welcome back. This is Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders working to make the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 44. Today, we're talking about humanizing healthcare. We're speaking with Jamie Edwards, the CEO and founder of CloudBreak, and he's going to share his five keys to humanizing healthcare. And perhaps a bit controversially, he tells us which role in the healthcare environment he's most focused on serving. And spoiler alert, it's not the patient. Stay tuned to hear more. But first, we are cruising through the final quarter of 2017 with some outstanding events and guests in store. And our plans and activities for 2018 are ramping up. There are already some great guests coming up for January and February. I'm excited. This platform is going from strength to strength. Our community is growing. We are up on every metric that we've set so far. And our sites are really high for the coming year. Not only do we have amazing guests and awesome listeners, But we're getting really great contributions for our blog, so thanks to everyone who's been sending those in. We're building up a team as we continue to build up our web content and our podcasts. We're getting dozens of requests to be media partners for various events and competitions, so I really appreciate your interest in working together there. If you have an event or challenge coming up and you'd want to work with us to get the word out, we've put some information on our website on how to become a media partner, and you can grab that by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash media and see all that information there. And none of this could be possible without the support of our listeners, of course, and very importantly, our sponsors and partners. We continue to build corporate partnerships, and we've had great support from organizations like Bayer, Medible, Ibis Capital, Terrapin Events, and many others. We're continuing to expand the ways we can serve and benefit our corporate partners as well as our audience. We have some really helpful options and packages available to help our partners and members connect. And would you like to know how? Well, I'd love to tell you about it. Just drop a line to hello at digitalhealthtoday.com. And we'll be in touch to let you know how we can work together to support and engage this global community of digital health innovators. Or you can just email me directly, and I'll make sure you get the information you need. You can email me at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com, and you can do that for any reasons. If there's something you like, if there's something you want to suggest, something you want me to improve, just drop me a line and let me know about it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings me to today's guest. I love it when people come to healthcare after having success in other markets and roles. We've had a lot of people like that on the program. Even just recently, we had Unity Stokes of Startup Health, who shared his background taking a tech company public on NASDAQ. We had Kevin Lyman, who did all sorts of different roles from SpaceX to Hasbro, before focusing on deep learning at Analytic, and John Pugh, who was a musician and a web pioneer before coming to his role at Accenture. We can add today's guest to that list. Jamie Edwards is an innovator in the digital health technology sector and is making waves in the industry. As I mentioned earlier, Jamie is the CEO and founder of CloudBreak. It's a company bringing innovative technology and a new approach to healthcare nationwide. The company provides more than 1 million minutes of telemedicine consultation through over 75,000 encounters each month. That's 1 million minutes and 75,000 encounters each month. 
Jamie is here to share his perspective on humanizing healthcare, and he's really concerned about physician burnout and the clinicians working at the coal face of healthcare delivery. We know it's really important because if we forget about supporting the people who are at the center of the system, all the amazing tech and process in the world won't fix it. He tells us about the five things he views as key to humanizing healthcare. Don't worry about taking notes. We prepared a PDF of all five tips on the website. Just visit digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 44. And we have a ton of links from this episode as well. So be sure to check it out, digitalhealthtoday.com slash 44. While you're there, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And you know I love it when you write a review. That really helps to spread the word and grow our digital health community. I know I say that every week. But with our download numbers, we should have hundreds of reviews, and we're a long way off that right now. So if you enjoy this podcast, just take a minute. I'd really appreciate it if you go into your podcast app, search for Digital Health Today. Yes, you need to search for it even if you're subscribed to it. Click on the cover art and leave a review. Five-star ratings are great and really appreciated, but it's even better if you can put a few words to let others know what you're getting out of this. If you need some tips on how to review this podcast on your iPhone, visit digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash review, and you'll see step-by-step instructions there. Now, let's tune into the conversation with Jamie Edwards. Jamie, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Happy to be here. Jamie, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile earlier, and it describes you as on a mission to fix healthcare. So on behalf of millions of people, I first of all want to say thank you. And second of all, I want to say what's taking you so long? (laughs) <laughs> well, Dan, that's a complicated question. It's kind of like Facebook status, right? It's like, oh, it's complicated. Yeah. Do you need a few uh, more weeks? Are you going to be able to pull it all in by then? Yeah, another few days. We should be there. <laughs> so I want to talk about your background a little bit and then dive into what you're working on now. Because as I was going through your profile, I noticed that you spent time at Lehman Brothers and in investment banking. Uh, you were yep. fund manager at BR Ventures. And you've been pulled into this whole healthcare space, looks like in about 2006, when you co-founded Pacific HealthWorks. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience and how you developed an interest in healthcare and then how you got on this mission to fix it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Cornell undergrad and a Cornell MBA. And when I was at Cornell, I took an entrepreneurship class from a professor whose name is Professor David Ben Daniel. And after writing my first business plan, I was I was hooked. I, I really liked this concept of being able to take a concept, you know, or an idea and turn it into reality and the power of being able to take something that's in your imagination and make it real. And I got hooked on entrepreneurship at that point. But what I realized is that I was kind of an English and history guy and not a math science guy. And so I realized I needed to build out that skill set so that, you know, no CFO would ever be able to pull the wool over my eyes. And so I went into investment banking and private equity to develop that skill set. And it was a wonderful, wonderful training ground. I got to see a bunch of companies doing it right, doing it wrong. I got to become a mini expert on a bunch of different industry verticals, whether it was, you know, internet, new media or healthcare. And over time, I, you know, I I spent 10 years in investment banking, worked on about $8 billion worth of deals during the time that I was there and just had a really great grounded experience in learning finance. What ended up happening is I had a gentleman who was my uncle who was an ER doctor. My sister is a doctor and my brother-in-law is a doctor. And I started consulting with them on their various businesses. And my uncle in particular, who was one of the first guys to come out of an ER residency program uh, when it was first a specialty back in the 70s, his name is Dr. Irv Edwards, he had started getting his own contracts and figuring that he could run an emergency department better than he had seen it done when he was employed by other groups. And um, I started doing consulting for him. I started, you know, kind of impressing my 
my physician uncle with my knowledge of cash flow and EBITDA and PowerPoint and Excel and strategy. And I helped him move out of his home office into a real office. I helped him start building a team. And eventually the company started growing. And in 2006, the company had about six contracts and was doing around $12 million of revenue. And uh, he asked me to join full-time as its CEO, and I did. And over the next few years, we grew the business from $12 million to $130 million of revenue to not only ER, but ER hospitalist and anesthesia, and to seeing about a million patients a year in the leading group in the Southwest. And we were named to Modern Healthcare's hottest companies two years in a row for the two years that they did the survey. And I really learned healthcare from the ground up there. I shadowed doctors in our emergency departments. I spoke to patients. I saw all the problems on the front line of care. And what I saw was, you know, an industry that was broken, an industry where physicians were treating, um, you know, just trying to get through their shift having to face and use difficult technologies like electronic medical records who intermediated their patient-provider relationship. And so in uh, 2006, I left Lehman Brothers to join EMA. And in 2008, I took on a second CEO role as the CEO of Language Access Network, which was the a company that founded the video medical interpreting market. And that was bringing an interpreter to the point of care so that limited English proficient and deaf and hard of hearing patients could get better care and actually engage in their care with their provider. And so a provider can make a better diagnosis. You know, communication is the number one diagnostic tool that a provider has. And we were ignoring 20, 30% of the population whose primary language was something other than English. So EMA actually, through an investor group, made an investment in that business. We ended up taking it private and proceeded to grow it. And uh, it's now the CloudBreak Health of today, which is in 700 hospitals performing 75,000 encounters a month, growing at about 50% a year. We're seeing just a huge increase in our demand and now doing more things than just language services. We've pioneered what we call unified telemedicine, which is bringing all of the specialties together on a single platform. And we've launched Telestroke, Telepsych. We're looking on some telesitting initiatives with some leading institutions in the country and just really proud of where we are today, helping solve other healthcare disparities besides just language interpretation services. So you've answered a few of my questions here, because when I look through, I see that you're CEO of CareNexion, I see that you're CEO yep. of Language Access Network, and I see that you're yep. CEO and co-founder of CloudBreak Health. So are those three companies the same company, just different iterations? Uh, you know, Language Access Network in 2008 to present, is that the company that became CareNexion and became CloudBreak, or is, are those yeah, still absolutely. separate entities? I understand that it's a little bit of a windy path that I just told you that I'd walked down in terms of my career journey. So yeah, so Language Access Network was the company in, in 2008 who formed kind of the, the predecessor company to CloudBreak Health. What ended up happening is Language Access did a few things that we thought were important. You know, One, it obviously connected patients to providers, but it did that over our own private broadband network. And so we actually created one of the largest private broadband networks into healthcare in the country on which Language Access Network was the central node. Because of our need to do telemedicine in real time, we built a call routing platform that routed a video call the same way an audio call gets routed in a call center environment. So skills-based routing, targeted routing, intelligent routing, virtual waiting rooms. And we realized that all of this technology and all this connectivity could be used for other purposes. So what we did is we took the network and we took our IT team and we spun them into a separate company that we called CareNexion. 
And Connection's mission was to build the best telemedicine platform it could build, agnostic of service. And Language Access Network's mission at that point became, I'm going to be the best language services company in healthcare. I can be agnostic of platform. And those companies were locked arm in arm for about a two-year period. We did our Series A round with a firm called Kane Partners in Century City. They're the emerging growth equity arm of Kane Anderson. We raised a $15 million Series A. And when we did that, they said, wow, you guys have this great language services business and this more venture opportunity in and around telemedicine. We'd like to participate in both. And so they put an entity over the top called CloudBreak Health. And this was about the same time that the market was evolving and we saw what we wanted to do as a company evolving. So telemedicine 1.0 was pick up the phone, call your doctor. Telemedicine 2.0 was let's add video, but a lot of the video that was added were these closed-end codecs or WebRTC, which by its very nature can't be federated as of yet. So it created a lot of different point solutions in the market that weren't interoperable. Not only that, Jamie, they're not interoperable, but they're also very expensive, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so what we sought to do was to create a system that brought down overall entry cost, but that allowed all of these disparate platforms to collaborate with each other. So we didn't have to go to a hospital and say, rip out your technology. We could go to a hospital and say, you know that investment you made that's not working out quite the way you wanted it to? Let us turbocharge that for you and show you how to make telemedicine a strategic asset. And so CloudBreak Health has really now, you know, we, we've moved everything over to, from a strategy standpoint, to being CloudBreak because CloudBreak represents unified telemedicine, which is telemedicine 3.0. Right, It's telemedicine as it should be. It's open standards-based, enterprise-based platforms. It's patients learning one interface instead of multiple interfaces. And it's healthcare systems bringing their full continuum of care to bear around a patient, which previously they've been unable to do via telemed. So we're going to dive into some of those things that you just raised. And I know that you've put together a guide for listeners that we'll have on the website that people can download that will take us through five steps for humanizing healthcare. So I want to make sure I go through that with you. But I had a couple other questions first before we lead into that. First of all, I know that you're working with Nick Atkins. Regular listeners to the program will know that we interviewed Nick back in episode 34, and he gave us the story about pink socks and and yep. how that, that came to be at Hims. You weren't with him when that started at Hims, were you? I was not with him when it started. Um, I got involved with Pink Socks probably about a year later when I met Nick. Nick's an amazing guy and uh, has really helped me kind of you know evolve my thinking in a lot of different ways. And one of the things, you know, Nick is a senior advisor to CloudBreak Health and the Pink Socks and the notion of them and what they mean and how they've helped bring together a band of people in healthcare who want to change healthcare for the better has had a significant impact on us and our business. Um, we actually give out the Pink Socks at you know conferences. We're a big supporter of Nick's and his mission because it's so near and dear to what we're trying to do, which is make healthcare all about people. And when we get to the five steps for humanizing healthcare, number two is empathy. And Nick is huge about empathy, right? And saying that healthcare is about people at the end of the day. Yeah, and what's interesting, you know, I've I've spoken to Nick uh, obviously on the on the uh, interview that I did, but actually it was the first time I'd actually spoken with him. And he is such a a, a guy about connection that I felt like I knew him well before I ever picked up the phone. And it was a very interesting sort of interview because normally I speak with people, but, you know, I, either they're people I know or people I've worked with or I get introduced sure. and like you and I did, we, we had a call before for this one so we could sort of strategize what we wanted to share with listeners. But, you know, and everyone that I talked to about Nick has the same sort of positive thing to say about how 
uh, they just feel so connected to him. And just even like his presence, they describe as very sort of calming and uh, and reassuring. So, and I, I know he's a big hugger. So, um, so maybe I'll see him at one of these conferences sometime and then uh, be able to get a picture of me with my pink socks on as well. Well, you'll definitely you'll definitely be able to spot him because he you know he wears a kilt, right? And he's you know he's got his tattoos. And initially, I think people would look at him and almost be intimidated. And then you get to know him, and he's like the softest, most gentle spoken, most caring, you know, individual. And the thing that Pink Socks has kind of done for me is make me a little less jaded, right? I think when you walk around a conference, instead of being open, you're kind of closed. You're like, oh, all these people want my time or I need to go put myself out there in order to go meet certain folks. Pink Socks is that connective tissue. You see other people wearing pink socks, you're like, hey, great socks. And all of a sudden you've got this common ground. And uh, it's really, you know, it's taught me to be a little bit more open. Yep. Uh, I also noticed on your profile that you've just very recently become a startup health company. I mean, like like this month. So is that being <laughs> that's must have just been announced? Yeah, we're actually breaking the news here on uh, for the listeners uh, because we haven't even sent out the press release yet. Um, I literally just changed my LinkedIn yesterday. Wow! Uh, but we've gotten into Startup Health as a portfolio company. We're extremely excited to be part of that community. Just the entry process alone has gotten you know all my senior leadership stoked on what the future partnership between us and Startup Health can mean for us and our business and for their portfolio companies and for them. So we're really, really excited to be a part of uh, Startup Health and you know, use uh, their academy to help us learn how to run our business better and to connect with the rest of the companies who are in the portfolio. We're, we're excited. So I wanted to ask you that, about that because I had Unity Stokes on on episodes 38 and 39. We had a great talk. Unity was very clear that they are stage agnostic. And I was really pleased to see that that a company that has the track record and, and the impact that you have being in 700 hospitals and things still sees the benefit and the attraction of being involved in that group. So I was wondering a little bit about how that happened in terms of what attracted you to become a part of Startup Health and then what you hope it's going to deliver for you and, and you guys can what you can work on over the next few years. Yeah, from our perspective, our company's always learning. And when I was at JP Morgan last year, that's kind of when my Startup Health journey started because I wasn't able to attend their Startup Health conference. And I had so many friends who were, you know, either worked with startup health companies or were attending that conference and talked about just the the sheer impact of the learning and collaboration that happened there that it got me really thinking. And so I started really digging in and meeting folks on the startup health team while I was at JP Morgan. And it really, I became enamored and I became enamored because I saw the opportunity to not only continue to, again, manage my business better by learning about, you know, all of the frameworks that the startup health companies use and all the support that they get from startup health in terms of helping them find investors and do all those different types of things. But then on the other side, what startup health could get from us as a part of their community. They have portfolio companies that want to sell into hospitals. Well, we're very experienced in doing that. Um, and we have a network of 700 hospitals that might be interested in some of what their portfolio companies do. And it's great. I've been in Startup Health for you know two days and we've already gotten a bunch of incoming calls from different companies who are interested about what we're doing and we're interested about what they're doing. So that spirit of collaboration is also there. And we just wanted to be a part of, of that community. And we've already learned in the first few workshops how to implement some frameworks that help us manage the business better. And, you know, the moonshot thinking concept around startup health is something that, you know, is timeless. 
always thinking big, always looking to better yourself, always looking to improve what we're doing in terms of our mission to deliver humanizing healthcare type of technology to the field. We're active participants in two of their moonshots, their cost to zero moonshot and access to care moonshot. And, uh, you know, again, really excited to be a part of it and learn and uh, to further integrate in the coming year. So I'm excited to go through these five steps for humanizing healthcare. Do you want to take us through them one at a time? Sure. So humanizing healthcare is the main mission of our business. We actually lead a Twitter dialogue around this at hashtag humanize healthcare, as well as the hashtag pink socks, which is really about humanizing healthcare. And for us, one of the things I noticed, Dan, when I was at my previous job running the ER group was that doctors, again, were just trying to get through their day and they're actually the number one burnt out workforce in the country. Right, 49% of physicians, this was a recent Mayo study, 49% of physicians suffer from burnout. And the number one symptom of burnout is treating a patient more like an object than a person, right? So providers not only are being asked to do more with less, but they're being desensitized to their, their main you know, product, which is providing care for the patient because they're so busy and they have so many demands on them in terms of, you know, documenting in the technology and, and trying to handle regulations and making sure they're doing things to the, the letter of the law and to the standards-based medicine standard. So what we've really noticed there is not only does that dynamic happen, but then the patient dynamic has changed. So patients right, who aren't typically paying for their care anymore because the insurance company has intermediated the patient-provider relationship, treats a provider more like a cog than someone who's a trusted advisor to them or part of their care team. They feel like it, they're entitled to their care, right? And so as a result, you've got this kind of diverging viewpoint and perspective from the patient and provider side, and it creates dissonance. So what we've tried to do is put technologies in the field that make the physician's life easier. Everyone talks about being patient-centric. We as an organization are really provider-centric. And we feel like if we can restore the joy of the calling back to the physician, they'll take better care of their patients. And so all the technologies that we use, we can go through these points. You know, number one on our list of five steps is really design thinking. Design thinking is really based in understanding the actual problem. It's not designing a product first and finding a market for it. It's finding a market and then designing a product that suits the needs and helps solve a problem. And it's really built around understanding people and how they would use the service and really digging in and going up, prototyping, ideating on it, and then going back in and fixing your prototype and doing all of that with input from actual people who are going to be using your product and service. So that to us was point number one. Excellent. I wanted to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier, which was that your yep. provider focus, which is which is not congruent with what a lot of people are talking about today. As you mentioned, this most people are talking about being patient centric. Uh, yep. But to to draw the connection here, your provider focus, but a lot of these physicians and clinicians are experiencing burnout, and you said that the symptom of burnout is that they're treating patients like objects instead of people. So realistically, while you're focusing on solutions for the provider you can actually help enhance that patient experience because you're helping to reduce the instances of, and the severity of burnout so that therefore patients are not treated like objects, they're treated like people. Yeah, you keyed in on it, right? The symptom is that patients are treated like objects. The illness is that providers are burnt out. And we feel like, you know, if we're going to if we're gonna cure healthcare, let's cure the disease and not just address the symptoms. So just in terms of that first item you discussed in terms of design thinking, can you give us a little bit of insight of, of how you do that or maybe a particular example of where you've done that in the development of your solutions? 
Yeah. Um, you know, the old telemedicine cards that were out there um, where we were initially doing interpretive services were, you know, these big behemoth cards. They had remote controls and there were always reasons why the the platform wouldn't work. It was either someone didn't plug in the cart. You know, there were no batteries in the remote. There were like little things like that that actually affected people's ability to get our service. So we've been very focused on taking that feedback in turning around and working towards touchscreen platforms like the iPad. You know, our go-to market right now at Cloudbreak is the iPad Pro. We'll either, you know, put that in a protective case or we'll put it on a cart system, but it's a very functional device that people are already familiar with. We get to leverage all the design thinking that Apple went through in designing that and in integrating it into our platform. And then we've taken our software and use design thinking to craft it in a way where literally all people have to do is push a button to get the service that they need. They don't need to enter an access code. They don't need to you know, do some complex process in order to launch it. It's all about ease of use and simplicity because once you nail those two things, those are the things that drive adoption. And one of the things that I would also argue in healthcare is, you know, healthcare, healthcare doesn't like the word fun. Like for some reason, we can't describe healthcare technology platforms as being, wow, that was really fun to use. We try and integrate fun into the use of the platform. We try and make our visuals exciting. We try and make the experience so that when people are done with it, they say, wow, that was really cool. I want to do that again. Well, you were definitely preaching to the choir with me as the host and with the audience listening, because that is so key. I mean, I've been involved in developing products in healthcare for, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 years. And that that expectation has really changed as we've seen the consumer experience just absolutely accelerate and uh, yeah. exponentially. The expectations that people have when they're now interacting with things that, frankly, they're consumer products that are becoming healthcare devices, right? I mean, we're, we're talking we're, – there's now a lot of noise about what's happening with uh, you know Alexa and Google Home and these Fitbits and accelerometers in your phones that are now being used to have health applications from it. So it's absolutely changing. And I'm glad you didn't have to use the word gamification because I think sometimes <laughs> people think when it, things are fun – that, that you're trying to make a game out of it. And it's not that. Right. It's, it's just that you're trying to make things more interesting and more consistent with everything else that we're being bombarded with. Certainly, design thinking is something that we're talking about more and more in healthcare. And I'm glad that that's number one on your list of five things. Take us to number two. Yeah, just really quickly, Dan, if you don't mind. Um, sure. You know, I think the word that we want it to be engaging. Right. So, um, you know, as opposed to gamification, I think the word that we're looking for there is like really engaging, because if people engage with the technology and they have fun using, it's going to be great. And, and, you know, to your point, you could design the best technology in the world, but if it's not fun to use and if it's not easy and simple to use, people won't use it. And so what good is that? Right. Let's make up a new word on the program here. Engageification. Oh, there we go. We just coined it. <laughs> Engageification. You've heard it here. Engageification.com. <laughs> I'll buy that while you're taking us through number two. Perfect. Perfect. I think we've got a new business to launch together. Yep. Um, number two is empathy. You know, and empathy is actually a key part of design thinking and um, having an empathetic culture. Um, everything that we do when we're out in the field is all about getting with a provider, getting with a nurse, getting with that x-ray tech, whoever's using the platform and trying to understand their circumstance. That empathy is also really important from the patient side. Imagine a world where, you know, do you hate waiting in your doctor's waiting room, Dan? Yes, I do. Everyone sits there and we're like, why am I waiting here 20 or 30 minutes? I had an appointment. Why is my appointment not happening at, you know, 2.30 when it was supposed to happen? But what if we 
what if we could show compassion as patients to our providers? And what if we had empathy for what our providers were going through? And we understood that the reason that our doctor might have been late was because the patient before us was getting a terminal diagnosis of cancer. And he wanted to spend the prerequisite amount of time to make sure that all of those patients' questions were answered, right? And that patient knew their care path and all of their options. Would we be a little bit more sympathetic and empathetic about, you know, not only that patient had to go through, but the doctor as well? So Mm -hmm. from our standpoint, there's this little thing called HIPAA that prevents the doctor from being like, hey, here's why I was late. I'm really sorry. So no good deed goes unpunished for these providers in healthcare. But we as patients can be a little bit more empathetic as well. You know, the interesting thing is doctors are, are a patient at one point in their life. So at some point they can walk in their patient's shoes. But how many of us get to walk in our doctor's shoes? Yeah, absolutely. And and tell me how, uh, I mean, we talked about Nick Adkins a little while ago. So tell me how his influence has sort of guided your company, making sure that that empathy is ingrained in your culture. Yeah, you know, just the more and more I've hung out with Nick, the more I've been focused on this concept of empathy. Um, and so if you sit down and, and, and you talk to him, he's not someone who talks first. He's someone who asks questions first, <laughs> right? And he wants to know about you and learn about you. That's a key part of this. It's all about building an understanding mm-hmm. because it's that understanding that builds our, again, this connective tissue with each other. Um, the more I understand about your situation, Dan, about you, your family, you know, the fact that you're in the UK and all those different types of things help me form this context of who you are as a person and what I can do to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, you know, one of the ways that Nick has, you know, helped us is to just have us focus on it because I think we all get heads down in our lives. We've got family, we've got business, we've got, you know, school, whatever it is, and we're just trying to get through our day. But if you keep some of these concepts and you stay aware of them, literally, if I take a look at this list and I post it on my window and I'm like, oh, empathy, right. I need to be more conscious of the fact that I need to be more empathetic. It, it, it just, it helps. So we try and raise that self-awareness for us and our employees as often as possible. We'll dive back into our discussion in just a moment, but I wanted to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Medible, the app and analytics company for healthcare. You may have heard my interview with Medible CEO, Dr. Michelle Longmire in episode 29. Medible is a fast growing company that was just named by the San Francisco Chronicle as a startup to watch. There's a lot of buzz about this company because Medible combines deep healthcare knowledge with cutting edge Silicon Valley technology. Its solutions are disrupting the $30 billion clinical trial outsourcing market. $30 billion, that's a market ready for disruption. It's no secret that clinical trials continue to grow more complex, and patient recruitment and retention are a major challenge to sponsors. Today's protocols are more demanding than ever, and frequent travel to clinical sites often discourages patients from long-term participation in studies. Did you know that 25% of patients drop out before study completion? In many studies, 50% or more visits could be relocated to a patient's home. For decades, the clinical trials industry has been saddled by legacy technology and workflow inefficiencies. Medible puts patients first and uses mobile tools to bring anywhere, anytime technology to improve recruiting and patient retention. Medible solutions include functionality that replaces e-source, e-consent, and EDC data entry into a study. And they can integrate with EMR, IRT, wearables, and other devices. Solutions that are powered by Medible are HIPAA compliant, auditable, and interoperable right out of the box. The Medible platform serves as the hub for the entire patient record with data spanning all healthcare systems. If you're interested in building clinical apps that patients love and that bridge the gap between the clinic to the app store, check out Medible's Axon. It's easy, it's HIPAA compliant, 
and it's supported by a robust platform. Give it a try and create your first clinical trial app in just a few minutes. It's true. Go to www.medible.com to schedule a demo. Now let's jump back to the conversation. So uh, I want to jump into number three, but I just also want to tell the listeners out there, engageification.com, someone's already thought of it. So there's, uh, it's available for sale for $2,500 if anybody wants to go on there and, and create that business that we just uh, <laughs> were just talking about. So take us to number three. Three, uh, storytelling. I feel like storytelling is something that often takes a backseat, you know, when, when, you know, in business and in healthcare, uh, especially because we try and keep things so factually based, but it's the stories that make us human. It's the story use cases or the user personas that help us create software to address the needs of those personas. So for us, storytelling has been a key part of humanizing healthcare as a business. If I want to have great clients, and great partners. I need to create a story that they want to be a part of. If I want to hire great employees, I need to create a company and a story around my business that they feel like is bigger than themselves. So we try and do that same thing when it comes down to our product. Someone could say, well, you're for our language services division. Well, you're just a language interpretive services company. Are we? Or are we a company that's helping solve a healthcare disparity for 20% of the population who finally can be empowered about how to take care of themselves and engage with their physician in a time of their life when they're most vulnerable, right? Those are two different angles. And from a mission standpoint, people will work differently towards one than the other. So the storytelling in healthcare is really important. And when you're trying to create behavior change and innovation, you need to be able to convince a physician who's practiced a certain way for 20 or 30 years, who only does things that are evidence-based because that covers his butt in terms of regulatory and you know care management, and it's also high-quality care. But engaging in a story to help say, look, this is why you want to do this. This is why you want to use a telemedicine platform. You need to engage in storytelling. I'm really glad to see that on your list as well. That's a word that comes up more and more in healthcare. And I think it's related to obviously what you were talking about in terms of design thinking and empathy as well. I know Leslie Saxon at USC, I interviewed her in one of the early episodes, and she's doing great work out at the Center for Body Computing. And when I've gone to her conference, actually, which is coming up very soon out in, uh, at USC this year, that's a big focus is around the storytelling component. And they actually work because they're based right there in, in LA, right? So yep. they've got access to some great storytellers in that little place called Hollywood. Um, they actually <laughs> involve that sort of mindset in their healthcare stories. And I think that that's uh, it's something that's coming up more and more frequently. And I'm really pleased to see that that's on your list of, of five things. Take us to number four. Number four, courage. Healthcare is, again, one of these industries that's entrenched in the status quo. And how do you push forward innovation in a highly regulated environment where the main excuse for people not pushing things forward is the risk is too high? Patient lives are on the line, right? It takes an immense amount of courage to stick your neck out and say, I think we can do this better. Because right now, the status quo seems to be I would argue it's broken. Other people would say it's okay. But our hospital CEOs across the country aren't incented to innovate. They're incented to make sure that nothing goes wrong in their ship. And that is a different mentality. I think the cool thing in healthcare is you're starting to see the evolution of chief innovation officers. A few of our health systems now have them, and they're starting to push forward. And I think it takes courage to do that. You know, so this concept of of courage and being willing to stick your neck out, you know, raise your hand and say, I think we can do this better, and I'm willing to take the risk 
associated, as long as it doesn't negatively impact patient care, you know, that that's a big deal. And that takes a lot of courage. And it takes courage in a lot of different groups. That's one of the things I love about healthcare is that there's so many different roles and responsibilities and people have different goals within the organization to understand what it is that they're trying to deliver at the end. And I've used this this expression when I've been in a sales role working with hospitals and said, look, you know, essentially a hospital is trying to manufacture healthier people. It's a, it's a factory floor, if you will. So it's it's trying to create better health for the people that come through the doors and, the, and its community. And, and people within that within that organization, whether they're you know working in the the technical department of the uh, the biomedical engineering group or the IT services or the, the clinical forward facing laboratory services or surgical suites, whatever it might be, they have different motivations around it. And the courage is not simply I'm going to take this on and implement it. It might be around the funding of it, you know, to trying to find out better ways to pay for services because you can't simply with new technologies and new solutions, you can't just simply stop doing one thing and then the next day roll out a new program. You're going to have some you know, transition and legacy services and there's going to be different things for different populations. So it can be courage even in terms of just how we approach paying for these things in addition to having the clinical leadership to say this is actually going to be really important, you know, for, for actually delivering better patient care at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dan. I mean, when you think about some of the trade-off decisions that we have to make in allocating resources, I mean, th- that takes courage. It takes courage to, you know, we're not going to fund this program in order to fund this program. Well, when you don't fund that program, that means that certain people may not be getting the services that they need. But when you take a look at the broader population and the broader results, you're expanding services to more and more folks. So those types of decisions take an awful lot of courage. And, you know, that's why we think it's important. Yep. And how about number five? Number five, interoperability. There are so many silos in healthcare today and finding a way to get information for a patient record, finding a way to make systems talk to each other still remains really, really difficult. And until we are in a situation where patients have free access to their information, you know, in our view as a company, patients should own their healthcare data. But how many patients have actually have access to their patient record? And if they do, how many have access to all of it? right? They may only have access to a part of it. In our view of the world is that's the patient's data and the hospital is merely borrowing it, right? So are there things that we can be doing from an interoperability standpoint to make sure that people have the information they need where and when they need it? So that's a key part of it. What we've done with our platform is we've created what we call video interoperability, right? We've, we've created a platform that plays nice with previous investments that the hospital has made Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is getting the care to the patient. It's not us selling more equipment. We'd prefer not to be in the equipment business. We'd prefer to be able to roll into a hospital and use what they already have in place. It's better for them and it's better for us. And, you know, interoperability creates fewer platforms for hospital IT departments to maintain. So for us, driving towards this goal of having all the platforms and systems be interoperable with each other, being able to get everyone that the information they need is a key part of humanizing healthcare. So interoperability is certainly the holy grail in terms of these sorts of systems and getting everything, as you talked about, getting the data out of these silos and being able to move it around and make more sense of it. We talked earlier with Kevin Lyman from Inletic a few episodes ago about some of the work that they were doing to actually help companies structure their data so that it can be used more effectively in some of the analytics and deep learning that machines are becoming more and more able to do. 
what do you think is going to really drive the biggest change there? Is it regulation? Is it a reimbursement strategy that's going to drive the interoperability uh, requirement? Is it a company like Apple or Google or maybe Amazon now with some of the recent things they're talking about coming out with uh, some some new way of doing things that's going to help unpick this this problem of interoperability? Yeah, you know, a great question. And I wish I could tell you there was a clear, concise answer. Uh, for me, it's a combination of all of the above. I think the government needs to make a greater effort to say to Epic and Cerner and McKesson, this is how the structured data is going to look and this is what we're going to be doing and you guys need to have these interfaces built and you know have this done in 12 months or you know we're going to have a problem. Now clearly those companies all have, you know, huge lobbies and they're incented as it stands today to not necessarily share that data. Now they are making efforts. We've seen, you know, Cerner and, you know, Epic and McKesson make efforts in this direction, but it's a hard problem to solve because, you know, there's there's not a lot of cooperation between those entities, right? They're fighting tooth and nail in order to proliferate their platforms through these facilities. And it changes the value model if all of a sudden the data that's in them doesn't belong to them. Right? Absolutely. It's a, it's a disincentive. It's a disincentive. That's why I ask about the reimbursement piece, uh, because if it could be tied to some uh, other <laughs> – either either you do it this way or you don't get paid, that, yeah, that could drive some Yeah, clearly aligning those types of incentives. And I think value-based care is part of the way there. Um, you know, we're incenting people based on, you know, outcomes instead of fee-for-service. And I think that's all steps in the right direction. And I think what people need to realize about healthcare is we're really at the early stage of the innovation curve here um, of what our healthcare system could be. Because, Dan, I think you'd agree, if we were going to create a new healthcare system today, let's say the United States of America was founded today, we would create a completely different system than what we have given the incentives. But what we're doing is we're fighting a lot of, what you know, technical debt right? Organizational debt, governmental debt in terms of just how much time, money and funding and effort has gone into forming the structure we currently have. So for us, again, I'll bring back in the courage. Um, it's going to take a lot of courage to fix the interoperability problem. And I think no matter where you go in the, the developed world, if you said that same question in terms of, you know, we're going to design a new healthcare system today, how would you do it? It would be different in every country. I was just trying to find a quote from Peter Diamandis. Uh, another one of my, yeah. So I was actually part of Peter's A360 mastermind group. Oh, were you? Um, yeah. So we, uh, I, sp I spent a fair amount of time kind of going through his stuff. Which quote were you looking for? Because I might have it. There, in was, there was a quote I tweeted about it a while ago. It was probably earlier this year because I was, I had like a binge Peter Diamandis night. I was watching all his YouTube videos. And I just like one got hooked onto the next, hooked onto the next, and I was just watching Peter for about four hours one evening. And uh, one of the things that I was really taken by was uh, he said, "Today, all of us can have an impact. The difference between having an impact and not having an impact is a decision." Yeah. I think I mean I think that's a fair point of view. You know, Peter's view of the world is that we are at you know the the bottom of this kind of inflection point of an exponential curve um, of you know technologies like AI and blockchain and um, robotics and 3D printing. And you know, Peter's another guy who's really opened up my mind in attending A360 and going to Singularity University courses about what the possibilities are. And because of him, I'm currently looking at implementing artificial intelligence into our business and what the impact that might have on things like machine translation or machine interpretation. I'm trying to figure out, like, look, we do 75,000 calls a month right now. How much great data is in those calls that we could use to help improve the health of the population? Those are the types of things that we think about now that, you know, without Peter's influence, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't be top of mind. 
Yeah, absolutely. What what keeps you up at night? What are what are some of the things that have you concerned about the business or the the sector? Um, what keeps me up at night? I think it's been interesting to see the recent um, spate of kind of Silicon Valley companies coming into the sector and not performing as planned. I think that if you take a look at a lot of the companies that have been successful in health tech, um, there's actually just a, you should check it out. Do you know who Rob Coppage is? Uh, yes, I do. I was just, yeah. I was just commenting on his post the other day. <laughs> yeah. What digital health was dead, right? Yes. Um, so I thought that was a really kind of intriguing post. And what he basically was saying, well, hey, look, digital health isn't dead per se, but the way that people need to think about it is, and you need to evolve. And you, really, digital health is about healthcare IT and consumerization, but really putting people into a few platforms. You know, I thought that article was, was, was pretty interesting. And if readers want to check it out, it was on CNBC. Yeah, yeah, we'll make make sure we uh, include a link to that in the show notes because it was a great discussion. It definitely had a very uh, clickbait sort of title, and and I bet that got a lot of attention. But I think it's a great perspective to bring because uh, you know digital health isn't dead. It, it, it's the way that we're thinking about it. And you know I've said from the very beginning, digital health will go the way of digital banking. It just became banking, and digital health will just become health. It's just a new way of doing it. It's a way of setting it outside of something different right now. And eventually, it'll just be the way that we operate, and we want to accelerate the day that that happens. Yeah, we like to say that, you know, why is it called telemedicine? It's just medicine, and it's just, you know, it's the new medicine. It's, 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 a, it's a new way for patients and providers to connect. It's a new way for providers to connect with other providers, and it's really just a great technological solution in and around how medicine is delivered. I wanted to ask you about DocSF because I saw you on the list of speakers at that event going on in San Francisco. I imagine you'll be at the Startup Health Festival now that you're part of startup, the Startup Health Group. You're going to probably be at J.P. Morgan, which is immediately following that. And yep. I understand you're going to be out there speaking at Stefano Bini's talk at uh, DocSF on the 7th of January. Yeah, we're talking about that right now. More to come on that front. Uh, but we we were there last year, and we we got to prevent as part of the innovation group. And you know that conference's first year was last year. Stefano's done an incredible job of building a great cohort of folks attending that. The conferences that I usually try and attend are you know that one. Um, I try and attend Exponential Medicine. Uh, Exponential Medicine is you know Peter Singularity University conference around healthcare. I find that you know the kind of thought provoking environment at that that conference, the level of people that attend is really pretty amazing. Obviously, HIMS is a place that we have a presence, American Telemedicine Association. And then, yeah, I'm excited this year to go to uh, J.P. Morgan and, and uh, the Startup Health Conference because uh, while I've attended J.P. Morgan a bunch of times, I haven't uh, attended the Startup Health one. So most excited probably about that one this year. Excellent. Uh, so I was in touch with Mike Ryan earlier, um, and he sent across a, a question he wanted me to ask you. If you had a magic wand, what would you fix in healthcare? If Wow. God, Mike's always posing those challenging questions. Yeah, I might have I to incorporate that into my top six or something that I ask everybody. If I had a magic wand, what would I fix in healthcare? Well, I think if I had a magic wand, I would fix this physician burnout issue. I would create an environment every day that physicians want to come to work is, you know, most doctors got into medicine for very pure reasons because they wanted to help people. 
And then as they move through their career, as they go through medical school and build up medical school debt and all those different types of things, our theory, you know, we, we get crafted and molded by those types of external forces. And then the mission changes a little bit and it moves from, I want to help people to, well, I've got to pay off my debt. I've got to survive. I've got to, you know, I've got to do this in, in, in what is a difficult environment. So if I had to wave a magic wand, it would be addressing this physician burnout issue and restoring a little bit of the the noble nature to this calling, which I think is one of the purest and most, you know, again, noble professions that someone can pursue. I mean, it's it's truly about caring and helping. Well, Jamie, I've got a few questions that I'd like to ask every guest. Can you spend a few more minutes with me? I certainly can. Fire away. Excellent. What is a quote, saying, or phrase that motivates you? I'm a, I'm a fan of a Steve Jobs quote. Basically, is centered around life can be much broader once you understand that everything around you that you call life was made up by people who are exactly like you. And, you know, you can change it, you can influence it. Um, and once you know that, your world will never be the same. It was something like that. I don't have it sitting in front of me. But this concept of we tend to idolize certain people, but those people are no different than we are. And at the end of the day, we can we can be those people to your quote about Peter, Diam, you know, the Peter Diamandis quote. All you have to do is make the decision to be one of them. And so that's something that we've tried to do. And I try and instill in every single one of my employees, especially the some of the interpreters who are on the front line of care, like they can have that impact on somebody else's life. You know, the power's in their hands. So that would be one of the key ones that I would highlight. What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? You know, for me, Whenever I, I, I talk about like that, that one piece of advice I would give someone, and it's not just about healthcare, it'd be about, you know, life in general. It's kind of like ask that girl out. And what I mean by that is, you know, as a guy, we can be intimidated when we see the girl that we want to date or the girl we want to marry and actually have to ask that question. Um, that goes back to courage, right? Right. Um, you know, from that perspective, I think a lot of times we don't ask that girl out. We'll sit back and we'll miss this opportunity. We'll see someone else execute on our idea. And how many times, Dan, have you said, oh, I had that idea 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And something in you is like, well, that's great, but no one's got the market cornered on ideas. The market's cornered on execution. Right. And that's something that's really just important for people to remember. If you're going to write down an idea, figure out what it takes for you to actually execute on that idea. And that's you know true in healthcare, and it's true in Internet. It's true in new media. It's true, you know, wherever it might be. You know, if you've got an idea that you think is a good one, write it down, you know, put together your 10 slide PowerPoint deck and what you think that might look like. And then, you know, see what it takes to execute it. You know, have the courage to take that next step. What's a book that you recommend? Uh, so many. You know, there are kind of two books that I hand to my senior team uh, when I hire them. And one is a book by Keith McFarland called The Breakthrough Company. And it really goes through the transitions that a company needs to make from kind of being a mom and pop to being a professionally managed organization. It's kind of one of our Bibles. But the one that people seem to really enjoy when I give it to them is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. You know, no one teaches you how to make some of these really difficult decisions about your company. And, you know, he covers things like, how do you hire and fire people? And, you know, here's some difficult situations that we faced and how we handled them. And, it, and it's a little bit of the scrappy business Bible on different things in your company, like what happens when you hire a friend, you know, all those difficult, very human things that we do as managers um, and their potential implications and how you handle them. What's a piece of technology that you wouldn't want to live without? 
Yeah, my kids would tell you it's my iPhone. Um, I think I'm probably on it a little too much. My uh, big pledge to myself has actually been to uh, you know put it away when I'm at home, and I've been successful in doing that for the last little while. But I've actually been surprised at Twitter. I stayed off Twitter for a good, I don't know, 10 years and only got involved in it a few years ago. And I've been really, I'm like 140 characters. How's that possibly valuable? But what I discovered is Twitter's been hugely valuable and not only the kind of Pink Socks nation on there at hashtag Pink Socks, but it's been a, a great way for us to get our thought leadership out there and engage in important discussions in and around how to humanize healthcare, in and around what's happening with the ACA and healthcare reform. Um, it has been hugely valuable. And one of my favorite things, Dan, is to go to conferences and meet the people who I've been conversing with on Twitter online you know, and either debating with and be able to engage with them in person. I mean, that's been by far one of the coolest kind of uh, revelations that's come out of my use of Twitter is that, you know, hey, what's behind these people are real people with real concerns. And um, Twitter is merely the you know, part of our voice. If I gave you a check for $5 million for you to invest in health technology today, how would you invest it? I mean, I'd invest it in CloudBreak Health. Um, okay, that's let's move on. <laughs> that's a no-brainer i am so <laughs> confident in our mission and just so driven by it every day yeah uh, we're actually in the process of hopefully signing a, a series b term sheet coming up pretty soon it'll hopefully be an announcement coming out i would invest in us we're we are on the cutting edge of what's happening and we've done something in healthcare that a lot of digital health companies haven't been able to do which is create a company of scale there are a lot of smaller businesses that are out there in digital health that never reach past a certain level um, they're able to get a few clients but not scale past that um you know we've built a you know what is a category leader and uh, we're super proud of that and we think the future is very bright well, we wish you a lot of success on closing that round of financing and do let me know when that comes together. We'd love to be able to put the word out and celebrate that. Definitely will. Definitely will. Last question for you, Jamie, is that we make a contribution to a charity in appreciation of your time on the show. What charity have you selected? And can you tell me a little bit about what they do? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, for me, it's the American Red Cross. I actually sit on the board of the American Red Cross chapter here in LA. And I, you know, God, so timely given everything that's happening, seeing all the amazing work that the Red Cross does um, on a daily basis is something that you know keeps me going is really inspiring. And I, the thing I like about it is it's all locally deployed. I mean, you can see the impact that your funds are having because the organization is out there doing incredible work. Excellent. We'll make sure we make a donation in your name and we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Anyone, and we encourage anyone to make a donation to that. They certainly do have their hands full with everything that's going on in the States right now. So um, thanks for the, nominating them to receive that gift. Oh, uh, no, thank you. Uh, well, that's a very gracious idea. Jamie, let me ask you, uh, how should people keep in touch with you? They could definitely find you on Twitter. Definitely find me on Twitter at, at Jamie Edwards. I'm happy to link up with people on LinkedIn. And CloudBreak's website is www.cloudbreak.us. And it's like a break in the clouds, not like uh, the brakes on your car. Um, okay. So it's actually named after a surf break in Fiji. But uh, you can find me at those places and uh, happy to engage in discussions. If someone wants, you know, my personal contact information, just engage with me on Twitter. And I'm, I'm happy to engage with you if you're interested about what we do. Excellent. Well, we'll include a link to your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter handle, your website, and a few other things on the show notes for this episode. And uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the audience before I let you go? Awesome to be on the show today, Dan. Thank you so much for the time. And, and again, I look forward to seeing people uh, online and in real life at some point soon. There you have it. Jamie Edwards, founder and CEO of CloudBreak. We covered a ton of topics on this episode, and we've prepared a PDF of all five tips that Jamie just discussed. 
Be sure to grab that, download that at the website by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 44. And while you're there, check out all the links to the things we discussed. There are lots and lots of links of videos and websites and companies. Grab that on the website by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 44. We have more great guests coming up. We have Aza Gadir, where we dive into work being done to understand the microbiome. It's a fascinating conversation. We also have Justin Barad of Also VR. We spoke a little bit about him with Stefano Bini in the conversation about VR in orthopedics. And we're going to dive into some of the work that they're doing. That's a really fast-paced area. There's lots of great companies out there that are doing fascinating work. And Justin has been really leading the charge. Brandon Palermo from Alum is going to join us to talk about the work being done in digital health to improve the management and use of antibiotics. And that's just a small sample. We have much, much more in store. You won't want to miss it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or on your favorite podcast player. And be sure to join us in the digital health community. Go to the website, digitalhealthtoday.com and use any of the links to sign up and join thousands of innovators around the world who are tuning in and pushing the boundaries in health and healthcare. Hey, and don't forget to check out Medible.com. Many thanks to them for supporting the show. Jump onto their website and sign up for a demo of Axon. You'll be surprised at how fast you can create your first clinical trial app. Do me a favor, tell them that you heard about it here. We appreciate their support and making these episodes possible. Keep your comments, questions, and suggestions coming. Ping me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at DHealthToday. If you want to talk about the show or about the possibility of becoming a partner, email me directly at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com. I look forward to hearing from you and exploring how we can use this platform to help you grow and succeed. All right, that's all from me for now. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, keep on innovating.